Ride Shell. Welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, we've got the great James Bamford. He is the author of The Puzzle Palace, Body of Secrets, and The Shadow Factory about the National Security Agency. And he also wrote A Pretext for War, 9-11, Iraq, and the Abuse of America's Intelligence Agencies. She says, oh, man, he goes hard on the neocons in that thing. It's so good. And then he's got a new one, which, Jim, I apologize to you, but I have a great excuse. I'm really, really busy. It's called Spy Fail, and I haven't read it yet, but we did talk about it when it first came out, and you wrote a couple of pieces at The Nation, and um, I know it's good, and I read, actually, recently, Grant Smith wrote a nice little review of it for uh, the Washington Report on Middle East Affairs, so I uh, guarantee that it's good. I know the kind of work that you do, so that's the latest. Everybody run out and get Spy Fail, but I... Got you here today, Jim, because I want to talk about Body of Secrets and particularly the chapter on the USS Liberty. And um, I guess I got to start with a guilty plea that I didn't go back and read Puzzle Palace on it because I know that you wrote about it in both. But I figured since Body of Secrets came second, that would be the more authoritative one. And I read Puzzle Palace, but like 25 years ago or something. So that doesn't count. So anyway, um, I'm severely interested in this story. I know a few of the survivors, as I know you do as well, and uh, I like these guys, and I I finally am taking the time to read a few different books about it and really try to learn the story as in-depth as I can, but there's a lot I still want to understand, but um, so that's why you're here. So, um, But I was wondering, I guess, maybe first of all, if I could just say hi, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, great. Thanks uh, for having me on, Scott. I appreciate it, and uh, I... Uh... Yeah, I also have a very uh, great admiration for the survivors of the Liberty. I, uh, as you mentioned, I wrote about them in my first book, uh, The Puzzle Palace, and then I wrote an entire chapter on the attack on the Liberty on uh, my next book, which was uh, Body of Secrets. And just this past summer, I was out in Colorado. I was invited to uh, to their uh, reunion. They had a reunion of survivors. I mean, the survivors are getting fewer and fewer, obviously. So um, I was very honored to go out there and give a give a little talk. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Is there video of that, by the way? Um, there could be. I, I, I don't have it myself, but uh, the organization, USS Veterans uh, uh, Association, um, probably would have it if you wanted to contact them. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. Okay. Listen, so yeah, I'm going to have Joe Metters on the show here, um, I believe, next week. And um, I've been watching all these documentaries, and I've been reading James Scott's book, and I have um, uh, James Ennis's book here as well. And uh, I'll mention it. I, I put down Joan Mellon's book, Blood in the Water. I, all of her best claims, you flip to the back, and it's like, meh. So, I don't know. Never mind. I got tired of that. Um, but so I went back to yours 
And as always, you put together one hell of a meticulous story here and with a lot of NSA materials that you got your hands on and interviews that you did and all of these things. So um, I guess, first of all, we got to presume that there are some people listening who really don't know much about this, or maybe they heard of it one time a long time ago, but they really wouldn't know what to think at all. So can you give us sort of the just the basics of, of what the story is that we're talking about here, kind of uh, the date and the time and the circumstance and, and the basic outline of what happened? Yeah, sure. Um, it happened in June of 1967, which uh, was during the Six-Day War between uh, Israel and Egypt. Uh, and uh, what happened was uh, the U United States uh, National Security Agency, the NSA, at the time had a number of spy ships. These were um, converted uh, sort of transport ships that have been converted into uh, signals intelligence ships, eavesdropping ships. And there was one uh, that was uh, um, sailing along the uh, coast of Africa. It was called uh, the USS Liberty. And when the Six-Day War uh, broke out, or just before that, they, uh, the, the NSA sent the um, Liberty to the Mediterranean to yeah, listen to what was happening during the war. So the Liberty sailed up through the Strait of Gibraltar, then it sailed up, uh, and it, it sailed off of Sinai, which was uh, one of the scenes of uh, a number of the battles. Um, and, and while it was there, it was uh, just in international waters, which is beyond 12-mile limit, uh, beyond 12 miles from the coastline. Um, and so it was listening to the... Uh, events that were taking place between Israel and Egypt uh, in that part of the world. And because of extensive antennas and so forth, it was able to pick up a great deal of communications. Um, so on, on June 7th, they uh, were just doing their normal eavesdropping, and uh, again, in international waters, and all of a sudden there was a, um, uh, a surveillance by a number of Israeli reconnaissance planes. They flew over uh, fairly low and, and apparently took pictures, at least uh, saw what the ship was all about. And at the time, the ship said USS Liberty on the back. Uh, there were American sailors on the deck, and it was flying an American flag. It wasn't hard to identify it. Um, it was listed in Jane's fighting ships, the standard book of, uh, of uh, naval ships that the Israelis, everybody has a copy of, and it lists the USS Liberty, uh, USS uh, uh, basically a uh, um, reconnaissance ship. And so after the uh, surveillance by the planes, and uh, a few hours later, there was this enormous attack. It began with, uh, with fighter aircraft, and they came over and they shot up, first of all, they shot the, uh, the small, uh, um, anti-aircraft uh, machine guns they had on on the deck. I think there were only two of them. So they took those out, and around the same time, they also took out all the communications. They shut out the antennas. So in that first uh, attack, they uh, made the ship silent, uh, for one thing, and then uh, second of all, they uh, uh, took out any kind of defensive armaments. And once they did that, then the ship was um, uh, 
basically a sitting duck there. Uh, and later on, after the uh, uh, initial attack by the fighters, other uh, fighters came in and they shot up the the, uh, the ship with uh, uh, cannon fire. They dropped napalm on, on the ship. Uh, they did everything possible to kill it, um, killing a lot of people, a lot of the sailors. And then finally, the um, Israeli Navy sent three torpedo boats and they all sat uh, targeting the uh, uh, the Liberty as if it was a you know just a sitting duck, which basically it was, and they fired five torpedoes at the uh, at the Liberty, which certainly would have taken it to the bottom. Uh, unfortunately for them, four of them missed, but unfortunately for the Liberty, one of them hit dead center, and that killed uh, uh, well a total of 34 people altogether uh, and injured. In the attack, there were over 190 people injured. And so it was an attack that went on for hours. And as the sailors were trying to get off and get into lifeboats, uh, since the ship was listing and looked like it might sink, uh, then um, the Israeli uh, Navy started shooting up the, uh, the rubber lifeboats. Uh, eventually, the, the ship made it back uh, to, um, I think it was to Malta, where, where the dead were removed and the injured were taken care of and the rest were flown back to Washington. The ship was eventually scrapped because it was too badly damaged and the captain, Captain McGonagall, uh, received the Medal of Honor uh, by President Johnson. But because the U.S. government wanted to pretty much cover this up, it was presented to him, not at the White House by the president, but in a sort of a back room at the uh, uh, U.S. Navy headquarters by a Navy official. So um, the crew were told not to say anything about it. And ever since then, there's largely been a cover up by the United States government. All right. So there's so much there. Um I guess the can we start with the surveillance flights? Um, and I have this from a few different sources that I've been looking at, but I, I think some of these quotes directly from the sailors were that there were as many as a dozen surveillance flights that morning before the attack happened. And then the implication there was that they were meticulously planning this attack with those photos. And they were saying, go out and get me more photos. Okay, I want you to hit them here and here and here and here and here. That was kind of the only explanation for that. And the Israelis say, no, but Jim, what happened is every morning at 10, we wipe the board clean and start over and forget everything we knew. And that's actually what they really say in the IDF report, that that's their standard procedure is to wipe the board clean. And so they, of course, yes, they knew it was an American ship, but then they didn't. Do you buy that? No, uh, um, they claim they, you know, they're the world, one of the world's best intelligence organizations, military organizations, and so forth. And uh, no, I mean, I don't. Uh, there, there's a ship out there. They have surveillance flights over it. It's flying an American flag. Um, what about the planes that followed afterwards, the fighter planes? I mean, the flag was still flying. The sailors were still dressed in American sailor uniforms, and the ship still said the USS Liberty, um, and they attacked it. So uh, what were the 
pilots wearing blindfolds or something. Uh, <laughs> so no, I don't buy that. Yeah. Well, you know and what it, though? Israel I mean, Israel has an excuse for everything. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. like most governments and most, uh, if you go to the Pentagon and, and tell them that something bad happened, the first thing they're going to come out was some defensive uh, explanation. Oh, that didn't really happen or it happened because of this or that. So that's what governments do. It's called propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, I'm sorry, because I know it's been quite a while since uh, you wrote this, but we have a timeline here as far as the different flights of planes. It was first the mirages uh, with, you know, one kind of bombs, and then came the mysterious with the napalm, and then we have the ships came, and we have also in the timeline various uh, bits of audio leaked where the pilots are identifying it as an American ship. And I think, isn't it right, Jim, that they say that uh, I think the second wave of planes finally identified it as an American ship, and that was when they call it off. But then due to a snafu, word didn't get to the Navy. So then the torpedo attack still proceeded anyway for another hour or more, too. That's their official excuse? Well, you know, the... um when I did a lot of research on this, uh, I interviewed a lot of people at NSA and the people at NSA who had access to all the information, the intercepts and all that, all agreed that they uh, thought it was deliberate. Uh, I interviewed the former director of the National Security Agency, uh, Marshall Carter. Uh, and anyway, he was adamant that he thought that it was uh, deliberate. I interviewed the, his deputy, the guy that was in charge of operations. Um, and he said it was uh, deliberate. Um, then I interviewed the uh, head of, former head of the, uh, the CIA, who was at the time, Richard Helms, and he said it was deliberate. Uh, I mean, if you go back and look at all the uh, quotes from members of the intelligence community and the national security a- uh, area, uh, the, you know, de- uh, the uh, Secretary of State at the time uh, said he thought it was deliberate. So you have all these officials, a lot of them um, with more knowledge than anybody else, and those were the people at the NSA and the CIA, Mm -hmm. saying that they thought it was deliberate. I mean, these aren't people that just uh, would say something like that uh, or make it up. I mean, you know, it's not advantageous to their career to go against uh, the uh, establishment uh, in the White House and so forth. So, um, you know, they took a political risk by admitting admitting the truth. Mm-hmm. So I buy what they say a lot more than I do with, uh, with the, um, uh, the Israelis. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the Israelis did a, what they called a uh, investigation and the uh, NSA was given a copy of it. And the deputy director of the NSA at the time uh, wrote on the very top of it um, a nice whitewash. So that was the view um, of the intelligence community, that Israel did do this deliberately and that they were covering it up, uh, which is what I wrote and what uh, a number of other writers have uh, written about. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, there's so many different aspects here I want to follow up on, but how about, how certain are you that the flag was flying in the first place? Because, you know, a skeptic said to me on the internet that 
well, it was a top secret ship, and so it didn't have a flag. Uh, that's nonsense. I mean, I was actually in the Navy, in that part of the Navy that did that kind of uh, work at the very same time. Uh, or actually, I, I gotten out of the Navy just uh, months before the actual attack. But uh, I was in that same, basically that same unit. And we ran a ship uh, called the USS Pueblo, which was another spy ship uh, off the uh, coast of, of North Korea, which was also attacked. But that one flew a flag, just like they all fly a flag. There were six uh, of those ships, and they all flew the American flag. And they all said exactly who they were on the on the stern of the ship, the name of the ship, and the bows of the ship on both port and starboard said their, um, uh, you know, whatever their designation was, their mm -hmm. ship designation was. All that stuff is very look uh, look upable in a uh, a copy of Jane's fighting ship. So identification is not really at issue. It was flying the flag. Its name was there. Uh, it had American sailors on board that you could easily see. Um, I mean, you could easily tell an American sailor from an Egyptian sailor. Uh, you could tell an American ship from an Egyptian ship. An Egyptian ship would have Arabic script uh, uh, written on it in terms of uh, the name. It would probably have it in English and Arabic, but uh, certainly wouldn't be flying an American flag. So all these things... Um, these arguments that it wasn't identifiable, I don't buy, and most of the people that I talk to in the intelligence community don't buy. Mm -hmm. and to your knowledge, has a surviving member, a sailor, Marine, or NSA civilian from the Liberty ever said that the flag wasn't flying? Or they all agree that it was? Well, they all agree that it was. Uh, I mean, there were pictures taken before the attack, and the flag was there. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's an insane to sail uh, in international waters opposite a hostile war going on and pull your flag down. Well, now there's a, there is a parenthesis though here, right, which is that the Israelis apparently shot the flag down and then the sailors put up the bigger flag, the 7 by 13 holiday flag. And that was after, I think, the first wave of planes. So before the napalm planes arrived, long before the torpedo boats arrived. Well, sure. And, you know, flag or no flag, the ship had its name on the back, and on the bow were, were its uh, uh, naval uh, letters that indicated mm -hmm. what it was. You just look it up, and yeah. it says USS Liberty. I spent three years in the Navy. Uh, I mean, it's not that hard to identify a U.S. Navy ship. Yeah. Well, folks, sad to say, they lied us into war. All of them. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War One, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Libya, Syria, Yemen, all of them. But now you can get the ebook All the War Lies by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, y'all, Scott here. Let me tell you about Roberts & Roberts Brokerage, Inc. Who knew? Artificial bank credit expansion leads to price inflation and terribly distorted markets. If you've got any savings left at all, you need to protect them. You need to put some, at least, into precious metals. Well, Roberts & Roberts can set you up with the best deals on silver, gold, platinum, and palladium. And they've been doing this since 1977. Hey, if you just need some sound advice about sound money, they're there for you, too. 
Call Tim Fry and the guys at 800-874-9760. That's 800-874-9760. Or check them out at rrbi.co. That's rrbi.co. You'll be glad you did. All right, now, uh, let me quote a little bit from your book here, because, hey, I typed it all out longhand, so I earned it. This is a CIA official... Jim, quoting an Israeli source from your book, Body of Secrets, regarding the attack on the Liberty by Israeli airplanes and torpedo boats, he said, this is, again, the CIA officer uh, uh, quoting or paraphrasing the Israeli source. Um, He said, quote, you've got to remember that in this campaign, there is neither the time nor room for mistakes, end quote, which was, again, this is quote within a quote there which was intended as an obtuse reference that Israel's forces knew what flag the Liberty was flying and exactly what the vessel was doing off the coast. Deletion, that is, I guess the guy's name, implied that the ship's identity was known six hours before the attack, but that Israeli headquarters was not sure how many people might have had access to the information the Liberty was intercepting. He also implied that something deleted was no certainty on controls as to where the intercepted information was going and again reiterated that Israeli forces did not make mistakes in their campaign. He was emphatic in stating to me, again, that's the CIA official writing here, that they knew what kind of ship the USS Liberty was and what it was doing offshore. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, like I said, I I interviewed uh, the director of the CIA at who was there at the time, and that was Richard Helms. Uh, I had a nice long lunch uh, with him and talked all about it, and he agreed with everything I wrote in my book. And uh, he said that, uh, in his opinion, um, uh, based on uh, that and other information that they had, uh, uh, he came to the same conclusion that the director of the NSA, Marshall Carter, mm-hmm. came to, which is that... Uh, it was a deliberate attack, plus their deputies uh, agreed to it, the mm-hmm. people in charge of operations. So um, so there was no ambiguity on their parts. And as you just quoted, that uh, that was a Israeli source basically admitting it. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the CIA uh, released that information. So, um, so I mean, the... the, the there's very little question, at least in my mind, and I've been writing for a very long time, and I don't take a lot of chances with uh, uh, conspiracy theories or anything. Um, it's uh, valid information as far as I'm concerned when uh, when you have that, that many people with that much knowledge all, all agreeing on one particular topic. Yeah, especially when you have, like, Admiral Moorer who said, let me tell you something, my job was flying over the seas and identifying ships. Any pilot can do that. That's the job, you know, and I don't want to hear no guff either. And he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and he's just saying, don't buy it. And that was not his only reason, by the way, but just to hear him talk about it like that, hey, what are you going to do? I mean, this is a guy who essentially... Uh, these are American sailors and Marines who were killed, right? So he's just not willing to throw them that far under the bus. He's just, no way. If this is true, I'm going to say it. Even, you know, as you were quoting, all these guys from the NSA and even Dick Helms. It's amazing. 
Right, and and again, I did actually work in that uh, that unit, the Naval Security Group uh, unit that ran the ship, mm-hmm. and uh, we ran our own ship, which was very similar to the Pueblo. So I know how the rules were. There was never a rule, or there was never an uh, an opportunity or a time when a captain would ever put the the flag uh, flag down. It would always be up, but the ship would always have its uh, numerals and letters on the front indicating what it was mm-hmm. and it would always have its name on the back uh, plus this is a ship with uh, 100 or 200 sailors on it a lot of them were on the deck and they all you need is binoculars to see that they're american americans in american uniforms so right. uh, you're talking about five torpedo boats uh, uh, mirage jets uh, reconnaissance planes um, the odds of all those people uh, not seeing it before they're, they, you know, these are people that are about to kill all these people. You take, we're talking about five torpedoes on a small reconnaissance ship. That ship would have gone down probably in a matter of minutes if all those torpedoes hit. Um, one hit and created an enormous hole in the side of the ship and it had a list back to, uh, 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 Malta, and then it was uh, put up for scrap after that. So you're talking about a deliberate attack against an American ship full with American sailors, um, and yet no action was ever taken about uh, against the Israelis. Yeah. Well, and now, so, you know, back to this CIA official here where this uh, this Israeli source is admitting to him that, look, we don't make that mistakes in this thing. And then secondly, he's saying, it sounds like he's alluding quite directly to their motive, that we weren't sure what all you were intercepting. And he all but says, and so we didn't want your interceptions to continue. And um, I think there are three major theories as to motive here. And I, I, I actually read somewhere else, Jim, so please correct me if this is wrong. I read somewhere else that in Puzzle Palace, your best information was that it was to cover up a move on the Golan Heights. But that then you changed your mind for Body of Secrets and said, no, it looks more like they were trying to cover up massacres of Egyptian prisoners on the Sinai. And then, of course, ultimately is the theory that the whole thing was a false flag with varying degrees of participation by LBJ and... Uh, his men in order to be an excuse to get us into a war with Egypt. So I wonder if you could take us through the origins of those different theories and where you stand on it all now. Yeah, again, they're all theories, uh, unfortunately, because the U.S. government never did an investigation. I mean, could you imagine uh, a ship being destroyed by a foreign country, uh, uh, 34 American sailors being killed, 190 wounded, and yet there's no uh, uh, FBI investigation. FBI agents are not sent to uh, uh, the country to uh, uh, investigate, interrogate people, uh, ask ask questions, demand documents, and all that. Yeah. None of that stuff ever happened. Congress happens. takes the year off. Yeah, so— um, um, They never held a single hearing in Congress either, did they? No, there was never any—there uh, was never any congressional investigation. There was no investigation ever. Um, you know, there were lots of investigations of other things that have taken place where the U.S. was attacked, U.S.S. coal, uh, other uh, incidents. The 
attack on the U.S.'s embassies in East Africa and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> in all those cases, uh, and, uh, bombing of uh, the uh, American barracks uh, in um, was Saudi Arabia, I guess it was, uh, and the embassy bombing in Beirut, Beirut a number of years ago. Uh, so all these uh, investigations, the FBI was involved, and they went over there and and conducted a very thorough investigation. That never happened with this one, though, not with the Liberty. And so that's why it's left to speculation in terms of what what happened. Uh, there were, I mean, first of all, these are uh, two countries that are at war. Uh, the United, the uh, uh, Egypt and and Israel were battling it out about 13 miles away from the the Liberty. <clears throat> Israel had a lot of secrets that they didn't want a lot of people to know. First of all, they claimed, they told the United States that the war had been started by the Egyptians, which was a lie. It was actually started by the Israelis. Um, they didn't want the uh, U.S. to know that uh, they were planning to uh, go into the Golan Heights. They they were committing war crimes by killing prisoners in the Sinai and so forth. So there are a lot of secrets that they had. Which one of those, or all of those, or or some other one uh, uh, that might have been there, could have been the reason for attacking it again? Because nobody, not even the press uh, or anybody, did any uh, uh, <clears throat> thorough investigation of this. And and the only thing we have is a report from the um, Israelis that the deputy director of the NSA wrote on the top of a uh, nice whitewash. Yeah. So um, that's what we're left with, and we're left with people like me and and uh, uh, you know a few other writers who who have taken it on to to look into it. So um, unfortunately, yeah, we don't have any decisive answers because there was never any formal investigation, and the Israelis decided to cover it up. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't really buy into. A lot of the theories that it was all a setup just to blame Egypt and get America into the war, because after all, Israel was handling Egypt just fine with their surprise attack, as you explained there uh, already. And, um, and you know, most of those theories, they seem to rely on footnotes that don't quite say what they're purported to say or some kind of thing. I, I was having trouble nailing all that down. I guess I need to really, you know, hammer out a... A, a timeline as sufficient as I can to look at. But I think a lot of that stuff didn't seem to hold up. It's a, one thing that really does stick out, though, is, of course, that if the ship had been sunk and all of them killed, then, of course, they would have blamed it on Egypt. And then, of course, Lyndon Johnson would have bombed Cairo, probably not with nukes. I'm not sure why they're so married to some of these theories have it where he was going to nuke Cairo and start a world war. I don't believe that. But Seems like he would have had to go to war with Egypt if it had succeeded. So even if the Israelis' plan was to silence some eavesdropping and some record-keeping, that it represented the danger of a real escalation of the war there. And if America had gone to war with Egypt, that might have brought us into conflict with the Soviet Union. It seemed like, in fact, one of the things I was reading was about how when they launched the planes, they also immediately called Moscow and said, we want you to know we are not going to Egypt. We are just going to check on our ship. So please do not misinterpret this launch. Like they were already 
quite concerned about the precarious position the Israelis had put them in, as it was already, you know? Well, exactly, yeah. The um, uh, danger since uh, 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 the Soviet Union at the time was supporting Egypt, uh, the, uh, the danger would have been enormous if uh, the Soviet Union, if the Kremlin at the time thought that, uh, um, or the, if the U.S. had thought that the uh, Kremlin was involved with the Egyptians in sinking an American ship. So, uh, yeah, that would have been enormously dangerous. You know, but in all the writing I do, I, I stay away from speculation as much as I can. I just try to write out, this is what uh, we know and this is what we know. So, uh, you know, whether that was, you know, a, a thought or not, I don't know. And I try not, like I said, speculating in, mm -hmm. in that. All I po point out in the book is that the Israelis had a lot of secrets. And when countries have lots of secrets, they don't want those secrets to get out. Mm -hmm. uh, and beyond that, whatever the reason was for the attack uh, is left to uh, somebody to investigate at some point. Mm -hmm. And the story, Jim, that when when Captain McGonagall was concerned that, hey, maybe we're too close and should back off here, and then his head NSA guy said, well, if we do that, we'll lose our VHF awareness here. We'll be able to get the UHF stuff, but we'll lose, I guess it was the Egyptian band was what they would lose. And so he decided, nah, let's go ahead and stay then. That was up to him, and that was, you know, a variable, essentially, here, where the rest of the fleet— Oh, and I guess the story is—and did you ever verify this? That they said that they told the whole fleet, everybody stay 100 miles away, but that the Liberty never got that request. Yeah, that's, would, uh, there, there's no question about that. Uh -huh. That's in the naval record that the—yeah, um, we're talking 1967. You know, this is uh, long before the internet, long before uh, uh, sophisticated communications. The uh, the ship was one of the very few uh, that had a satellite dish on the back. Uh, but um, these communications were were sent by high frequency mostly, and it was quite unreliable. So yeah, there's no um, question that the um, Naval Naval Command, especially NSA, sent out a uh, message saying, uh, uh, you know, move further away from the coast. They were somewhere around 13, 14 miles off, which is outside the 12-mile limit. In, in other words, in, in international waters. Mm -hmm. But because of the hostilities, the Navy and the NSA wanted them to move further away. But they never got that message from the um, Navy or the NSA. And so uh, McGonagall had to um, uh, rely on his uh, earlier orders, which was to just remain in the, uh, in the uh, international waters. And like you said, the, uh, the problem is if you're trying to intercept uh, low-frequency communications, such as uh, walkie-talkies and uh, other kinds of uh, um, communications, it's the closer you are, the, the better. So uh, if you moved 50 miles uh, further away, you wouldn't be able to pick that up. So that was 
what was going on. Plus, there was no indication. There was no indication from Egypt that they were uh, planning any hostile actions against the ship. And there was, you know, no obviously no uh, uh, indications that our ally, uh, Israel, would attack the ship. So they didn't really, uh, uh, having talked to a lot of people who were on the ship and read a lot about what was going on that day, there wasn't a lot of concern of course. that the ship was uh, going to be targeted by one side or the other. It was a dark and stormy night at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in the sunshine. Yeah, it was, no bright, it was bright daylight out, two, 2 in the afternoon. I don't think there are any clouds or hardly any clouds, so there's no excuse for not uh, recognizing it as, yeah. a sh as a ship. I mean, it would be the same as if you know some police officer went out and, and uh, started shooting people uh, without – you know, without uh, thinking, that, oh, they may be a bank robber or something, and, and without any indication and just start shooting. I mean, you, you don't do that. You, you mm -hmm. can't just go and attack a, uh, a ship that uh, w w without identifying what it is. And if they tried to identify it, they would have identified it because it wasn't hiding what it was. Yeah. Hey, guys, Scott here for Leo Hamill Fine Jewelers out of San Diego at JewelryStoreSD.com. They do business nationwide. They sell jewelry and watches, specializing in engagement rings. You know, in case you're in love with somebody. They also specialize in one-of-a-kind vintage and antique jewelry, fully-serviced pre-owned fine watches, such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Cartier, and any high-end brand. Leos also services high-end watches faster and cheaper than going to a factory service center. Leos takes all the stress out of shopping for jewelry and engagement rings, and always at the right price. They deal nationwide over the phone at 619-299-1500. That's Leo Hamill Fine Jewelers out of San Diego. Go to JewelryStoreSD.com to check out their fine selection and to find out more. Hey, y'all, you should sign up for my Substack. It's ScottHortonShow.Substack.com. And if you do that, you'll get the interviews a day before everybody else. But not only that, they'll be free of commercials. How do you like that? Pretty good, huh? ScottHortonShow.Substack.com Hey, y'all. LibertasBella.com is where you get Scott Horton Show and Libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things, including the great Top Lobsters designs as well. See? That way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. LibertasBella, from the same great folks who bring you Ammo.com for all your ammunition needs, too. That's LibertasBella.com and so, again, it does make sense that McGonagall would take the risk, because what's really the risk? The Egyptians are going to attack us? Probably not. And obviously, our friends, the Israelis, are not going to attack us. So let's just sit right here. But then that yeah, also would be an indication were, were... If, if, Jim, they didn't get their orders to stay back. And then also, even within the orders that they had, McGonagall had decided on his own to go ahead and stay in place when he could have pulled back, even based on the orders that he already had based on this uh, UHF-VHF problem here, um, then that would tend to um, belie the idea that this whole thing was a long, planned-out exercise to sink this ship to get us into the war, when it sounds much more like a target of opportunity, or maybe even somehow the Israelis had convinced themselves of necessity that they just, for whatever reason, absolutely had to take this ship out, but it was a decision that must have been made that morning, not weeks before in concert with LBJ and his secret Mossad mistress lady. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I don't well, know. I don't want to quit LBJ. He was a dirty SOB. I don't know. But well, he he has a lot to uh, blame for the cover up and everything else. Uh, but again, I uh, my job is to sort of report whatever I I find, and uh, I try to leave speculation to other people. So whatever the reason was, whether it was some um, plot to try to get the U.S. involved in the war against Egypt or to hide secrets that they were going to uh, invade uh, uh, other parts of the Middle East or whatever, that, uh, you know, I, that's up to somebody else. Uh, my job is just to report what I've found, and that's what sure. I found. Is that the, I understand. That there I was guess. no excuse for not knowing it was an American ship and that the U.S. had and still has an obligation to uh, investigate why these Americans who were, you know, honorable Americans serving their country were killed by a foreign country. Why? That's the uh, issue that's never been uh, resolved in the U.S. government. That's what we pay taxes for. Yeah. To, for the government to go out and, and, and uh, not only tell the American public, but especially tell the, the families of the people who were killed why it happened and, and uh, why nothing was ever done about it. It's not too late. I mean, yeah, um, right. You know, it, it's getting later all the time with people dying off, but still, uh, at least there should be some, some um, decency uh, shown by the U.S. government or the Navy or the Department of Defense. Yeah. To um, or the Congress to uh, to look into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I was just noting there because you were really confirming that there was a bit of accident and and variable to this, right? Some missed orders, a decision made by McGonagall himself that could have been made the other way, and based on presumptions of what was going on in the world and how safe they might have been and that kind of which you know that's important for the story that that we understand. It's not all just. Uh, a black and white cookie cutter thing, you know, especially on the, on the whole idea, I think of, uh, the kind of furthest speculation, but anyway, um, I wanted no, to, right. I mean, I think people should, uh, speculate, uh, on it, but they should speculate on it based on actual facts, sure. and not conspiracy, right. uh, theory. So take the facts and try to figure out why it happened. But uh, at the same time, demand the U.S. government investigate why it happened. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with a lot of these things, you know, there's different interpretations. And usually if you try to be charitable in your interpretation, those tend to be the the um, the more likely ones than the more nefarious. Not always, but. I wanted to go back to something that is news that you broke in here, and we're going back to earlier in the interview here, but this is something that's brand new in this book, Body of Secrets, I believe, is the story of the NSA plane that was flying overhead and the partial information that they were getting and and what came of that. Can you talk about that? Um, the Just... Tell me again what you wanted to... Well, to, I believe, you know, you had a couple of sources the, from that plane who talked about what they had heard and what they thought it meant, right? Yeah, that was uh, that was new to Body of Secrets because it was uh, the NSA had just released uh, some of that information. I mean, the problem is that the NSA kept so much information secret that could have shed some more light on what was taking place. 
because they were intercepting communications all the time that were going on, intercepting communications from uh, both Egyptian and uh, uh, Israeli aircraft. Um, so that was one of the um, uh, things that they intercepted and they eventually released under the Freedom Information Act uh, was the uh, some of those conversations that were intercepted of the uh, Israeli pilots. Uh, and it's, it's been, you know, I think 20 years since I wrote, wrote the book, so I can't really exactly remember what the uh, conversations were, but they gave indications that, uh, that it was deliberate. Yeah, I think what it was was that they heard them talking about an American flag, and then the thing kept going on. And it kept going on and kept going on long after the flag had been identified, even according to their own timeline. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's coming back to me now, right? The um, Yeah, that was the issue. You know, if, if you uh, said you didn't see the flag uh, or that you erased the whiteboard or whatever, um, you know, well— the flag was still flying, and the and the and uh, Israeli pilots were still talking about it uh, around the time of the attack. So then, uh, or during the attack, whatever. And and so, how do you explain the fact that you know that there's a flag on this ship that indicates it's an American ship, and yet you're going ahead with this attack? So I think that was uh, some of the issues that came up with the release of. Uh, this material, how much other material the NSA has, I have no idea. Having written three books about the NSA, I know that they uh, uh, keep a tremendous amount of information secret. It's the most secret agency in the government. So they pride themselves on what little they release. And uh, um, it would be nice to have some congressional committee demand that they go through their records uh, you know, it was done before with the uh, JFK assassination when Oliver Stone came out with his movie uh, JFK that raised a lot of questions about the Kennedy assassination. The Congress order uh, uh, created, a, I guess it was a bill or an order of some sort, um, uh, created a law basically saying that the government uh, is required to release all information, not just some, but all information related to the... Um, assassination of John F. Kennedy. Well, I mean, you could create a, a similar law saying uh, the uh, administration, whatever administration it is, plus the NSA has to release all information dealing with the attack on the USS Liberty. Again, we're talking about uh, 1967, you know, uh, more than half a year ago, half a century ago. So um, uh, Anyway, it's a long time ago, so uh, there's no reason there should be anything secret about what uh, what what took place during that time. Yeah. All right. Now, listen. Um, can we talk about these sailors again for a minute? Because I know that in every documentary and every book about this, and all my conversations with these guys and others that I've heard interviews of theirs and so forth, it always comes up about the level of secrecy and clampdown at the time. And how, you know, I know Phil Turney says he was even threatened with the death penalty, essentially. Well, I'll put you in prison for life or worse 
Admiral Kidd told him, if you say a word of this. So all these guys who just had to scrape up their buddies in pieces now were forbidden to talk to even their dad or anyone about it in any way whatsoever or or even to each other. And they had to carry this for I don't know how long. Do you know when it became okay for them to even talk about this and I know that so many of them talk about how this just absolutely destroyed them because it wasn't just the violence but the level of betrayal and Lyndon Johnson had just stabbed his men in the back yeah uh, it was easy for the government to do that uh, like I said I was in the same unit uh, that that uh, was sailing that ship and uh, so we all had to sign secrecy uh, oaths and uh, get top secret clearances and so forth. Um, and violations of those oaths were uh, you, you go to jail for a long time. So that's what they were using. They were using the leverage of those secrecy oaths to keep them from saying anything. They, uh, they were told that all this is top secret. You can't say anything. And if you do, you're a violation of the U.S. espionage laws. And you will go to jail for 20 years or something like that. So, yeah, here they are. They're on a ship attacked by a foreign a foreign country. Uh, 34 of their sailors were killed. Uh, 190 of them were wounded. Um, their ship was blown out from under them. And yet they're not allowed to say anything about it. Uh, so obviously that would be enormously frustrating. It would never happen today. I mean, you would never have a Navy ship attacked attack would be, be like the sailors on the USS Cole that was attacked by uh, Al-Qaeda, not being able to say anything about uh, the, um, the attack, uh, which uh, was far more, uh, far less of, a, of an attack than the attack on the USS Liberty. Yeah. Um, although, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was bad for the, the, was about half as many killed, so it's still pretty bad, though. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. And then yeah, uh, the the secrecy and the cover up and the you're not even allowed to tell your psychiatrist about it and this kind of thing when they went through you know absolute brutal warfare, even for just a couple hours here with their buddies torn to shreds the way they were, the ways they they talk about. Um, that's yeah. pretty tough betrayal. Plus. Uh, uh... Uh, almost immediately, uh, again, I wrote about this in, uh, in one of my books or articles or whatever. I guess uh, um, at some point I wrote about the USS Cole, and uh, which, I, as I mentioned, was attacked uh, by an Al-Qaeda attack. And almost immediately, uh, within days, uh, a whole squad of FBI agents were, were, were flown uh, to Yemen to um, investigate what had happened and, and uh, try to get answers. And the person who was uh, responsible for it basically uh, was uh, captured and, and uh, I think he still may be in Guantanamo or something like that. So, uh, um, so you know, the U.S. government does that when when there's an attack on on uh, on American ship or American um, building or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and they didn't do it in this case. Uh, and that's why uh, the public uh, should demand the answers to why they didn't do it and to belatedly do what they should have done back then. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me of the Kobar Towers, where they blame that one on Iranian-backed Saudi Hezbollah, which is a giant steaming load of crap. And it was Osama bin Laden that did that. 
as uh, Michael right. Scheuer wrote. And, and did you ever write about that one? I, uh, I, I think I just mentioned Cobar uh, Towers at one point, but I didn't, mm. it wasn't a, a focused on anything that I wrote. But again, 19 airmen betrayed there and their families lied to. And again, the FBI sent uh, a whole bunch of uh, agents over to investigate right away. Um, and they and, just lied, but at least they, at least they performed an active cover up instead of just a passive one. I guess. Well, at least they, at least, at least the U.S. government sent agents there to investigate whatever happened uh, as a result of the investigation. I understand. I'm just teasing uh, a little bit. What can you do? Yeah, uh, but uh, that's and it's not me. I mean, I'm just a writer. I didn't have anything to do with. Uh, I didn't lose any friends. I wasn't on the ship, but. The people who were on the ship, uh, a number of them are still alive. I met with them this past summer at their reunion. And uh, after all these years, uh, they're, they're still um, angry and sad that the, uh, the government let them down by um, not never pursuing who attacked them and who killed their shipmates and yeah. who ship out from under them. Yeah. So it is interesting, isn't it, that... As secret as the NSA is, I mean, I know that you've got, uh, you've cracked that thing open and, and gotten a lot out of them, but they really wanted you to know how they feel about this, right? Like you have so many guys that talk to you here, or maybe some of these are secondhand sources that you picked up who had talked to others, but you have so many of the senior leaders of the NSA in agreement here. It seems yeah, like a, they really a, are are determined that the official hand. history at least says that, you know? Yeah, this wasn't secondhand. These were, uh, you know, I spent time, I spent three days with mm -hmm. uh, Marshall Carter, the head of the NSA uh, at the time. Uh, I spent countless hours uh, over long periods of time meeting with uh, uh, the deputy director, or, or rather the, the head of operations for mm -hmm. the NSA at the time. Mm -hmm. and I, I spent... Uh, Couple hours at a lunch with uh, with uh, the former head of the of the CIA, uh, uh, Richard Helms, uh, saying the same thing. So, uh, and Moore too. You interviewed Moore. I'm sorry. Moore, Admiral Moore. Uh, I, I never personally interviewed Moore. No. Okay. Uh, I think he. I'm not sure if he had died before Booker or, or whatever. We got some I, great quotes from him I, I anyway, though. From, so yeah. I quote from him uh, from official documents and everything, mm -hmm. but I don't. Uh, but I did, never did uh, interview more. Anyway, though, still a uh, point being, and I'm sorry I interrupted because the point was they really wanted you to put this in the history of the world here. That this is what oh, yeah, their definitely. consensus they, is. They were they were anxious for me to write this, uh, uh -huh. and uh, because you know this was their on their watch. <laughs> you know, this was. They feel responsible. These people were working for them. Uh, th these were intelligence people working for them, and they were killed by a foreign country. And they had never, nothing ever happened to that foreign country or the people who pulled the triggers or shot the torpedoes. And uh, uh, so they were very. They've always been very angry. The problem is that there, there, there was no outlet for their anger since. The Congress never held a uh, investigation. The FBI never did an investigation, and there were very few uh, journalists that uh, looked into it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really unfortunate. I didn't learn about the thing until I was in my 20s or 30s, and I was interested in sort of alternative right-wing politics of various sorts. I still never heard anybody talk about it until the 2000s, early 2000s, I guess was the first time. No, no, that's not right. It must have been in the 90s. But still, I remember thinking, wow, I hadn't heard of that, but I should have by now when I ever, when I ever I did hear about it. Yeah, um, very few people... <laughs> I mean, don't feel bad because, uh, you know, you're lucky if you get one in a hundred thousand people that would, uh, uh, know, you know, know what, what happened if you just mentioned the name USS Liberty. Um, right. You know, as I said, I lived through it. I was there, uh, working on these issues, uh, when I was in the Navy. So, um, I was doubly shocked that the, uh, uh that there was, no investigation because I'd known about it since the very beginning. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess we'll end the interview with another apology that I have not had a chance to read your latest book yet, but I do have it here. It's called Spy Fail, which yeah, must be about. Rally. I'm sure you'll you'd enjoy it, Scott. <laughs> oh, I know. I know I will. And I really feel bad because I know I was the very first to read and interview you about Shadow Factory when it came out. So I'm your biggest yeah. fan, but damn it, I'm busy writing a book about Russia right now. And um, but I'm well, going to get to you. it, and we'll do a great interview when I finally do. I promise. Terrific. Well, great for. I uh, really appreciate you having me on your show. I always do. You have a great audience out there that uh, are really in tune to issues, which are the kind of people I really like. That's great, and I sure appreciate your time as always, and and really, hell, for these decades that you've made yourself available to us on this show. Jim, I really appreciate you a lot. Thank you. Take care. Good luck. All right, you guys, that is the great James Bamford. The book is Body of Secrets and also Spy Fail. The Scott Horton Show and Anti-War Radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.